you? Where are you? <laughs> well, Baden, I am good because we are having a rest day and my legs really needed it after the climbing we did yesterday. And where am I? I am in Uramita and we are on the banks of the river Uramita or it could be the river Susio. We're not sure because at this little pueblo in the mountains uh, is where these two rivers converge. So, but it's right there. You can probably hear it. Can you hear it? It's really swollen at the moment because it rained a lot last night, so it's very busy. And what country are we in, Shelley? I can't remember. Colombia! Viva Colombia! <laughs> Welcome to the How Are You, Where Are You podcast, an audio travelogue of our adventures by bike as we ride back home to New Zealand via Europe, Central America, and now South America. So after seven years of living in London, we decided that enough was enough and we were ready to head back to the Hutt Valley of New Zealand. And Baden was the one that had the bright idea to do it on bikes. So here we are. And breaking news, Shelley Campbell, congratulations. You've just cycled across Central America. Thanks, Baden. So have you. Congratulations. We've just crossed the Puente de las Americas. Uh, the Bridge of the Americas, and I think it was built in the 60s because they realized, shit, we, uh, we built this big canal, but uh, now the traffic can't get across. Um, so, well, they had a little, a little swing bridge further up the canal. So it's like a big sort of um, signifier that uh, we've crossed over from Central America and we're heading towards South America. Man, crossing that bridge was A, quite scary because there's nowhere to actually cycle and um, so you just have to be really careful and B, just, uh, I don't know, like I had so many emotions all at once because it's amazing, like the view and you, you know, when you see the Panama Canal for the first time, that's incredible. It just looks like an enormous river and you just see this huge ship steaming in from sea towards you, towards the bridge and it makes you realize how the scale, you know, of everything. But also, I just couldn't stop thinking about that first day when we left the Holiday Inn in Cancun and we set off. You know, we were just riding into the arms of fate when we did that. We really had no idea what to expect, no idea what was going to happen to us. And we've had just an incredible adventure. And the thought of that and how far away that feels now and how far away that actually is now really like I just started to well up. Panama City is on the other side of this bridge so we haven't got far to go until we get to our accommodation but I just thought we crossed that bridge we've crossed Central America. Last episode we're in a tiny little beach town on the Inter-American Highway with just 100 kilometers to go until Panama City and now we have left Central America behind and arrived in Colombia. Yeah we spent five days traveling from uh, Panama City to Colombia by boat. But more on that a little bit later. And we've tried to sort of reflect on our time in uh, Central America. Yeah. And the funny thing with Central America, so many misconceptions that we had, and I guess other people were telling us as well, that of things that we were going to find in Central America and we didn't. And these things are generally bad things. You know, everyone thought no ill will come upon us yeah. and you know we'll fall you know into some sort of cartel of drug gangs and <laughs> become yeah become sort of like you know wanted people you know sort of digging maybe, bodies in the desert maybe kidnapping might have been something that people imagined might well happen. i thought yeah people definitely thought i'd be someone who'd be 
you know, killing people with, on a murderous rampage and then, like, burying them in mass graves in the desert. I think people thought that of me. I, uh, I disagree. Um, so some of the things that, you know, we found, a lot of people said, oh, so you cycled all the way through Central America. What, like, bad things happened to you? And we have to say, and this isn't a very good story, but nothing. Yeah, I mean, maybe we should have been looking for trouble. Uh, but yeah, trouble passed us by, and I'm like, uh, people are just amazing. People are friendly, people are hospitable, welcoming. They cheer us on. You no, know? I mean, it's a bit weird for people to see us cycling through their towns with our sort of ridiculous bikes, and but people were just so supportive and. No, it's that sort of stuff that really stir, you know, spurs you on, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the only thing I had was, you know, a very few times I had guys making sort of sleazy, you know, sleazy comments or mm. something like that, but just hardly ever, And really. that would never happen when I was around. That was no. only when you were sort of, oh, I had cycled ahead or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Shelley would go, hey, wait for me, I'm getting all these guys whistling. <laughs> Not really. I mean, I've had actually a few people think that I was a boy, so... <laughs> There wasn't much danger of guys hitting on me, but um, yeah, so no, there's been no no trouble. As long as you have some common sense and you just keep an eye on your stuff, it's, it seems pretty easy to stay out of trouble. Yeah. I mean, the worst thing, no, if you think about it, the worst thing that probably happened to us slash me was having to get my wedding ring cut off. Yeah. You know, but that was actually, the experience of that was really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the other thing was that, you know, that has been a bit of a struggle has been the heat. Yeah. Um, so that's something that we've battled oh, yeah, a little bit right. with through Central America. I've visited two hospitals, haven't I? <laughs> so, yeah, the first one with, with the heat and the sort of heat exhaustion that I got in the Yucatan. I don't think we, we just didn't know how to handle that. You know, we arrived in Cuba and then that was really hot. Yucatan probably even hotter and it's taken us quite a while to get used to that we did the early morning starts finished cycling at around 10 Mm. which has ended up being quite a nice routine yeah I've started to actually become accustomed to waking up at four in the morning which I never would have believed it could have been possible yeah yeah Mm -hmm. I mean I used to wake up a little bit later than that for work so it's nothing for me and I quite enjoy the mornings riding in the mornings less traffic um, yeah. And sometimes you get to see the sun come up, which is really lovely. And the howler monkeys that greet you every morning. So, yeah, there are definitely a lot of positives to waking up at that time. Yeah. But the other thing with the heat is that, you know, lately in Costa Rica and Panama, we've done a lot of cycling during the middle of the day. Mm. And I think we are getting tougher. We've acclimatized to it. We can... We're not so bad at when the heat's not such a big issue for us. Yeah. We had a few times in Panama where we slept in bus stops during the middle of the day to get out of the sun, but mostly we've sort of trucked on. Yeah. So another thing that we, um, when we were thinking about, you know, what kind of were overriding things that we'd noticed in Central America, and obviously being cyclists, a really important one was uh, regarding the roads and, and the drivers in general, and, and really the standard of both has been quite high everywhere. Yeah, I mean... You know, trucks, you know, sometimes you get a truck sort of passing quite close to you and you feel, you know, uh, am I going to be in danger? But generally, yeah, we've had no problems. I think the worst day of riding, you know, in terms of the traffic was when we rode from El Rancho to Guatemala City on that horrible, dirty road. But even then, you know, we had the old chicken bus run quite close to us, but really not many, I've never really felt in danger on the roads. And, 
you know, I've felt in danger plenty of times in London. And I wonder if the, what it's going to be like in New Zealand as well, because, you know, sometimes you hear things that cyclists aren't that well received back home. So I'm really, you know, wondering if it's going to be worse in, in these developed countries where we've lived yeah. than even than here in Central America. People are very courteous. Drivers yeah. are awesome. And I think we've got a lot to learn. Yeah. In preparing for this trip as well, I was... Um, a little bit nervous about the the kinds of roads that we'd be riding on and um, I'm not very good off off road like over rocks and sand and stones and all that kind of thing so um, I really haven't had to deal with that there's been the odd occasion where we've gone on quite rough roads but um, it's actually not been that bad and I feel like it's quite good for me it's it's sort of uh, a new skill that I'm slowly developing and, and I think I've got a lot better you know when we were on Ometepe and we rode over that terrible road there I felt like I coped with that okay and when we were leaving was it um, no not San Juan del Sur where was it oh um, Puerto Viejo you know that really uh, dodgy yeah, yeah yeah that was quite rocky but yeah so I feel like I've improved there and but in general it hasn't been something that we've had to deal with so no we're really we've, we've been really lucky and another thing we've been lucky about is dogs we thought would come to Central America and just be attacked and ravaged and gnarled by uh, packs of wild dogs but that hasn't proven to be the case at all who are going to be gnarled yeah is gnarled when they just sort of like jump on your face and start clawing out your eyes no i think that's being mauled mauled gnarled is like you know old gnarled tree like a it's not really the right one. yeah okay miss dictionary thank you very much <laughs> Your contribution is no longer required. <laughs> I, I've been, I'm reinventing the word, word gnarled. Gnarled is just to be sort of hammered by something with your eyes clawed out. Okay, cool. So for now on, that's gnarled. Um, Wait, I want to say, um, you know, with dogs, you're not a big fan. Um, how, do, you, do you feel that you have uh, come made any progress with regard to dogs? Yeah, I mean, I no longer use you as my human shield as much. <laughs> um, <I'm, laughs> and I still like to accelerate when they come after me. But one thing I was um, got into, mostly during Panama, is just like looking at the dogs and in a big, gruff voice yelling, No! And, uh, you know. That actually was quite effective. That was quite effective, because when Shelley goes, No! No! Oh. They, they, don't, they need the power of a man's voice. Oh my god, that's offensive! No, I <laughs> developed a new trick, which is going like this to them. And they don't like that. The street dogs, the stray yeah. dogs. Because I think the locals do that to them, and so they, yeah. that seems to put them off sometimes. And also, when you're riding past them in the middle of the day, they're too tired and hot to come chasing. <laughs> we, like last night in Colombia, when we were cycling with the... Um, we were cycling in the dark yeah and yeah dogs are more game to come chase us yeah because i think yeah they just have more energy when it's cooler and they're also scareder like um i think dogs aren't very well treated in some of the countries that we've been to mm. so that they're, they're way more scared of us than i am of them okay yeah i'm not so sure about that but anyway <laughs> um one thing that i noticed across all the countries was a, a real fondness for overusing plastic so every single vegetable that you get in the market or the supermarket has to go into its own plastic bag. They drink water from plastic bags. There's just plastic bags over every single bunch of bananas on every single tree. It's just plastic, plastic, plastic everywhere you look. Chickens and cows are eating plastic off the side of the road. It's really, like, really awful. And um, we've seen a few attempts at recycling, but I think it's all 
pretty piecemeal and yeah. no, no one's really abiding by it. I've seen these articles uh, from back home, uh, back in the UK, where um, <clears throat> they suit Tesco and the supermarkets are charging for plastic bags mm. and a lot of the Brits have been moaning about it. You know, oh, you're charging it for the plastic bags. This is abhorrent. Mm, yeah. But... Uh, yeah, they really need that here in Central America. They need to cut down on their plastic use big time. Yeah. Everything comes in a plastic bag. Yeah. So, yeah, in Costa Rica and Panama, people uh, have a slightly, well, a higher standard of living and, and it, it just is reflected across lots of little parts of daily life that, you, you know, for example, you know, littering, maybe there's a bit less in those countries. I don't know really how these things are related, but um, I just hadn't expected there to be such disparity between countries. I kind of thought that all the Central American countries were equally not not that well off yeah um but that just shows my ignorance exactly i mean costa rica is was a different ball game with that you know things were definitely noticeably more expensive same in panama too really in the countryside you could find good deals Mm -hmm. on things but yeah in panama city there's well we experienced some really um no very high standards of living there but also walked through barrios and uh, neighborhoods where the standard was extremely low there's there's a lot of inequality and yeah it's kind of t- it's really sad to see but in the countryside in panama people live very simply on the caribbean coast um people's houses are you know there's not much to them you know um yeah uh, I don't know, it's the sort of thing that you expect. And I don't know, a lot, of, a lot of people have said to us, but the people are happy. And I don't know, that may be so. I, I'm definitely not one to judge that. I don't want to like, you know, I don't like that sort of Western attitude you hear sometimes where people say, oh, but look at those poor people, they're so happy. You know, why do they need more help? And, you know, what, you know, why do we need to worry about sort of lifting their standard of living? Um... I, I don't want to look on it that way, but I don't know. Yeah. It was sad, but really interesting for us to see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And all is not equal when it comes to food in Central America, which is one of our uh, main focuses, I would say. Would you agree? Uh, well, it's my only focus. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah good. Um, okay, great. I'm all about the food. So we started in Mexico, which is obviously, everybody knows, has amazing cuisine. It's outstanding. Yeah. It's, it's everything. I mean, I don't know, Mexican food, it's making uh, headway into like London. There's a lot more Mexican food there, but it's still nothing like no, I've got in Mexico. We've know, got so much to learn. I didn't know what real Mexican food was until I actually went to Mexico, mm. because I think it's the things that you get in other places are kind of like, I don't know, there's sort of fusion really a yeah. lot of times or we've moved beyond have, Tex-Mex in Europe yeah I they think. just don't have the the authentic ingredients and all that sort of thing yeah. so they have to kind of come up with a new version of it something that's palatable and easy for people to understand whereas when you go to the country you get the the real food and the flavors are just out of this world yeah the quality of produce and the variety of produce I think that's what's you know stopping us in western countries or in other you know other in Europe and Oceania and all that by having like the real deal Mexican food it's just like the quality of produce that's available to us so we uh, headed south and the food you know wasn't as it wasn't as good obviously but there were some uh, some highlights as well um, in particular uh, the pupusas in El Salvador which is just incredible 
first-rate cycling food, a tortilla filled with all sorts of delicious things, yeah, I principally mean, cheese. Pupusas, <laughs> if anyone out there wants to start looking at recipes, I think pupusas would go off in London if you want to set up a little pop-up pupusa stand. Yeah. Uh, these, this food is awesome, it's cheap. Um, yeah, I think there could be a pupuseria coming to New Zealand sometime soon. Um, Gallo Pinto was another one, and that's actually something that we will find again here in Colombia. They, they do a rice and beans thing, but I, I thought it was quite nice. And, um, and it's know. different in every country, as yeah. we explained in a couple of podcasts ago. Yeah, uh, ceviche, we had some really nice ceviche. In particular, we had one in Panama City that was good at the fish market. Um, and Baden's written the words cowfoot soup on that bit of paper. Yeah, cowfoot soup, that was a highlight. Um, basically gelatinous cowfoot boiled down in a soup. And we had that in Belize. Well, I had that actually. Shelley was too scared. Uh, and I thoroughly recommend. One of the big dilemmas that everyone faces when they're traveling around here is how you get across the Darien Gap from Central to South America or vice versa back the other way. Um, so the Darien Gap, the mysterious Darien Gap. Yeah, I mean it's probably one of the only, well there's one of the few no man's lands. <laughs> no men's lands. No man's lands. No women lands. No man or women or well, probably dog lands. Um, <laughs> still left in the world. And basically, they've, there's no roads linking Panama with Colombia. All there is is swamp. But there is land. There is land there, yeah. yeah. It's, but it's all swampy. And they've tried to build roads there um, in recent years, but the, all the construction projects have failed because it, it just keeps, the road that they try and build just keeps sinking. Okay. So, so it's just jungle between, between Panama and Colombia. Yeah, and it was thought also that it was heavily infested with uh, violent gorillas and that they were like trafficking drugs through there. Now, I sort of severely doubt that's probably the case. I think most of the drugs probably come through uh, via the coastline. Yeah. But... Um, okay, so as it is, it stands as a bit of a barrier for backpackers and motorcycles and cycle tourists alike. To, yeah, we, we can't it. ride our bikes through there. There's this guy called Ian Hibble. You talked about him last time. Yeah, um, and so if you look up uh, into the remote places on YouTube, you'll see his attempt to sort of try and, well, he did. He cycled through the Darien Gap. Um, but, yeah, we didn't want to. We're not Ian Hibble, and we weren't going to do it like that. No, so we had to kind of consider all of the options, and a little bit of internet research went into this. But luckily, lots of people have put together blogs and um, kind of outlined... The, the ways that you can do this. Um, so just quickly, you can fly, uh, and we heard that Viva Colombia, is yeah. it? Do a flight for like between 80 and $120. Does that include a bike or? Sometimes. Uh, some people have had experiences where they've turned up with their bike and they've sweet-talked the check-in staff and they managed to get their bike on free of charge. Other people have reported having to pay a whole lot. Uh, of money for their bikes okay. so you've got to be wary of that. I think that in, in doing some research we found that this was the most common option selected by cycle tourists was to yeah. fly because it's the cheapest we think um, but it doesn't get a very high adventure rating. So you can also take lunches so you can go from um, you have to get yourself to the coast uh, from Panama City to a place called Kati and the road to that is just horrific like I, I would not I would it's, not. It's paved but man, it's tough cycling. It's like 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 30% gradients and yeah. stuff. Our yeah, our friend Sebastian did it, and uh, 
he kind of bunged up his knees and his chain. He really he's seriously traumatized. Yeah, it. he's still traumatized about it. Yeah. So you you go out to the Kati, you get a boat to a place called Puerto Obaldia, yeah. and then from there you um, go to immigration to leave Panama. Yeah. Then you get another boat to a place called Capogana, which is where you enter Colombia. Exactly. So that boat ride, I think um, you can negotiate anything between. 80 and 140 dollars so it's all on going to Kati Harbour talking with some people and seeing what sort of deal you can provide now at the moment there's a bit of a wave of Cuban immigration Cubans have been able to fly to Ecuador and they're using landing in Ecuador and then coming across land to try and get up into the US um, and at the moment there are lots of Cubans on these boats and I've just heard that they've um, closed off the border at Nicaragua, the Costa Rica-Nicaragua border. They're preventing Cubans from coming into um, oh, okay. Nicaragua to try and stem this tide. Right. And so there are boats full of Cubans coming from Colombia to Panama and then a lot of the time these boats are going back empty. So that could be an opportunity for sort of cycle tourists. Our friend Sebastian, indeed, he did that. He was only two people on the boat yeah. uh, back to Colombia. So that's why I think he got quite a good deal. So you're kind of just paying for the guy's gas. But you can sort of pay anything up to 200 for those three or four bike, boat, boat rides yeah. all, all together. And, and the boat ride is bumpy and long. I think the first one to Puerto Abaudia is around six hours. Mm. And then from Abaudia to Capucana, you're looking at around an hour. So that's a long time on a, a potentially speedboat. very cramped speedboat. Um, the other option is cargo ship, and we met some people who, um, Palestina and uh, Julian from Mexico, they, they went out to Colón to try and find a cargo ship that, that travels down the coast through the kind of Kuna indigenous region and, and picking up sort of bits and pieces to sell further down. But um, we're not too sh they didn't have any luck, and we're not too sure. They, they mentioned to us that they had had an offer for 500 US per person. We don't know if that was on a cargo ship or not, but you know, they, they didn't do that because it was just too expensive. So we're not entirely sure about the cargo ship route. Um, and the, the, the final option is the option a lot of backpackers uh, take, which is going on a sailing boat. So you can sail from Cati to Cartagena in Colombia, or Cati in Panama to a place called, um, where was it? Sapsuro, Sapsuro. In, in Colombia. So um, that's actually the option that, that we chose. Uh, you take uh, five days, four nights and five days to get there. And on the way you sail through the San Blas Islands. Yeah, the San Blas Islands are sort of a, an autonomous territory for the Kuna people. Um, so they've basically been allowed to run these islands the way they want. They've, there's lots of little taxes and things you may have to pay when you uh, try and get onto a Kuna Island. But um, the San Blas Islands, it's pretty close to paradise, isn't it? Yeah, it was really beautiful and um, we, we really enjoyed it. But it was a hard decision because it is, it is quite expensive and it was, certainly wasn't something that we'd budgeted for. So in total, including all of the extra boats and the $50 extra that we had to pay for the bikes, we paid for both of us $1,050 US for the trip from Kati to Sapsuro, then you take another little boat to Capugana. But you can actually pay to go to Cartagena, uh, you know, $550, and then you have to then add all the sort of extras on, including $50 for the bike. I would actually recommend doing what we did as well. The last, if you go into Cartagena, you have less time in the San Blas Islands, and you've got two days of an open sea crossing, which for those with dodgy um, sea legs like me, 
um, that's not so great. You know, you'd probably be sitting under deck trying not to yonder. Yeah, so it was a, it's a kind of a new thing that the captain of our boat is trying out to offer a slightly cheaper option. And then once you get to Colombia, you jump on a bus to Cartagena and save yourself that open sea crossing. So, yeah, we really enjoyed it. So this was our life for five days, sailing along the Panamanian coast through the Sun Bluffs Islands with Captain Rudy aboard the African Queen. <laughs> so Shirley and Fausto, our bikes were carefully roped to the prow. Is that the back? Uh, the prow. I don't know. What's the back called? It's a stern. Stern. Okay. Have five days. You, you haven't learned anything no, about boats. Captain Rudy didn't teach me anything about boats. I still don't know how to tie a knot. So yeah, we roped the bikes at the back of the boat and they stayed there the whole time safe and sound. So, you know, that was all good. Um, and we basically had a five day holiday. Yeah, just our days were spent eating fresh fish that was uh, caught off the boat. And Rudy is uh, Italian, so he cooked it up a la Italiana with uh, you know risottos and pastas and we had ceviche. Oh, the food was tremendous. Three meals a day yeah, yeah. Um, and then drinking rum at night. Yeah, he didn't skimp on the on the meals. We had lobster twice, oh, loads lobster. of fresh fish. I mean, it was, yeah, it was really, really incredible. So we got to swim around. Um, we'd spend a few hours every day, uh, you know, motoring or sailing when there was wind. Um, and the rest of the time just relaxing, talking, reading bobbing around in the ocean, a bit of snorkeling, um, yeah, and a bit of rum consumption and, and general friendly, wholesome card games and things like that. Yeah, so we had a really terrible time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> also, yeah. one thing that was good for me was that I sort of, um, I think I've taken steps when it, with regard to my fear of kind of deep water and sea creatures and things. So I went snorkeling um, and also I jumped into the water at night, which I was like, oh my God, I was a little bit drunk at the time. Not very drunk, just a little bit, but I needed some Dutch courage, but it was good. Yeah, so I feel like, okay, I, yeah, I'm getting there. I'm gonna, I'm not so afraid of water anymore. Um, yeah, so we, uh, we had a great time. And we shared our experience with some like awesome people <laughs> who uh, they really made what they really made the trip for us really we we're yeah. lucky to get such a great bunch and you know because you're in cramped quarters and you think well the the people that are coming on this boat they made it they better be like freaking awesome because otherwise things are going to be very awkward and maybe not so fun <laughs> but luckily like everyone who came on uh were tremendous oh no i'm panicking i'm panicking that's sarah we asked our fellow crew members what they liked most about their time on the African Queen. <laughs> ah, I really, I really just loved meeting all of you. <laughs> She's a Manitoban girl living in British Columbia and Sarah absolutely cracked me up for the full five days. Ah, yeah, and... And... The, I, I had so many firsts on this trip, and that was very special. Sarah was traveling with her friend, Landis. Uh, I really liked the coconut oil <laughs> and a uh, sticky note game. I don't know. Nice. I don't know what you call it. Rolf? I liked the, the pseudo shark attack. 
or a five no. woman totally panicked for a fish of 30 centimeters. And Micah. I just got my mouth full of crackers. Micah, what did you think? Um, are from the Netherlands and are beautiful people with adventurous hearts. Awesome vibe, a lot of rum, cold beers, Caribbean vibes, take it slow. Yeah, it was really great. And of, oh, of course, the people. The people were the most important part of the boat. We met Sayaka, who's from Japan, but has been living in the States for 10 years now. And she's probably the most chilled person on the boat. Oh, um, I like uh, I like the captain. I like, the <laughs> I like everybody on the boat. I love the... Uh, the um, I don't know, just sailing. Oh, yeah, go for it. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Okay, Chris. Chris Lightfoot. It is Chris Lightfoot. What was your favorite thing about being aboard the African Queen? Oh, to be honest, there are a lot of good things about being on the African Queen. No, oh, Chris. A young guy from Australia. He was responsible for feeding us fish. Favorite thing is probably catching a fish. I caught a fish, two, two fish on my hand lines. That was good. Also lost two hand lines. That wasn't so good. Um, but yeah, I probably the, maybe the food, the captain, absolute crack up. Ah, <laughs> he's an absolute crack up. Tuna parties are good. Uh, lobster parties were better. Yeah, it's many good things. I don't have one favorite thing. This is way harder than it looked. Sarah's a fellow Kiwi, although she lives in Perth. Oh. <laughs> She's a real organiser. She's overflowing with energy and up for anything. I really, I really liked Rudy and his lobster parties. <laughs> Simon, or Don Simon, as we like to call him on the boat, is Sarah's other half. Uh, I think I probably just, I really valued the time I spent getting to know other people from other cultures and just, just sharing really great, uh, you know, memories that will that will really like kindle for the rest of our lives. But um, yeah, it was, no, no, it was probably lobster, actually. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, definitely the lobster. Well, like, 30 seconds before you split your face open. Yeah. I, I enjoyed most of it except for when I yeah, split my face open. <laughs> but even that was kind of cool. <laughs> How did you do that? Uh, 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 it's a flip back. It's like a backflip, but you make contact with the boat with your face. Backflips. It's like, you know, some people like to backflip, but the, the hardcore among us, flip back. Yeah. The one, the only, Patty. He's traveling with Chris, and he had a, let's call it a, special relationship with Captain Rudy. Can I just grab oh. one quick word? I got nothing to like say. A, like what, what did you like about the African Queen? Did you have a good time? Oh man, it was a good time. Rudy's the best dude ever. Couldn't pick him from a bar of soap, like, as to how he's going to be, but yeah. I don't know, he warmed to us, we warmed to him, and yeah. Had a lot of fun, man. All right. Now there was one sound that was really quintessential for everyone aboard the African Queen. The maniacal laugh of Captain Rudy. We've been in Colombia. 
for three days now and we are so excited. So far, it has been beyond our imaginations. It's been amazing. It's been incredible. Yeah. And we can't wait to start work on the next podcast. So well, I don't know. Technically, we have actually already. Oh yeah, we have. We've done a few things. What's in the pot? We'll be making a comeback. <laughs> um, and yeah, so we'll we still need to ride up the hills to Medellin, mm-hmm. and uh, that's our next stop. And there's going to be a lot of climbing ahead of us. Yeah, I'm a little bit nervous about that, to be honest. We've met some incredible people in our time in Central America, but we just wanted to give a special thanks to Alberto, Adolfo, Tracy Crane, and Tom Hammond, uh, who helped us immensely in Panama City and really made our short time there so much more interesting. So thank you very much to all you guys. Yeah, we always, we needed a fixer when we were in Panama City, and those guys were our fixers, you know, like our... They sorted, they sorted it out for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was great to meet them all. And um, I'm just sad we didn't get to see Tracy Crane. Although we truly believe, don't we, Baden, that she should really fly to Colombia now. Yeah, I think um, a, a trip to Colombia is on the cards for T. Crane. She's earned it. She earned it. I mean, I think she's going to come and meet us in Bogota. I hope so. That's guaranteed. There are cheap flights, T. Crane. Go to vivacolombia.com and uh, just, just pick where you want to fly to and we'll ride there. Yeah, just do it. Um, so uh, since the last podcast, you've had time to listen to the Runtime uh, new EP called PB. So that's uh, Callum Campbell, your brother, who uh, has contributed all the music for our podcast. Um, what's your, uh, are you going to do a little quick review? Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Um, I downloaded it all on Bandcamp. I paid money for it, and I think it's worth it. I mean, you know, of course he's my little bro, but... I've been like singing along to his songs and sometimes I have um, something stuck in my head mm. and I'm going, oh, what's that tune? And I'm like, hold on, that's off Callum's album. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, which is a pretty cool thing to say. I totally recommend it. Go to Bandcamp, look up Runtime. Uh, we'll put a link on um, our website. Just go there, check out the music and um, yeah, let them know what you think. Awesome. Well, that's us. We are done. Uh, thank you very much for listening and we'd love to know how you are and where you are as always you can email us you at gmail.com or go to the blog as Baden mentioned howareyouwhereareyou.com we'll have a whole load of photos up there you can post a comment there might be, there'll be a link to, um, to the runtime page on Bandcamp and there's also links to SoundCloud and iTunes if you want to subscribe to the podcast you can just click there um, and yeah, you can find Baden at Baden C uh, on Twitter and Baden Cycling on Instagram. I'm Shelley M. Campbell on Instagram. And yeah, until next time. Ciao. Bye. Bye.